0: Welcome to the H.U. Pirate Ship Podcast. You can find us at www.hupirateship.com, where we talk about the Pirates. It's free and anyone can join. Verified Pirates are treated to inside information about H.U. and H.U. Athletics. I'm your host, Tariq, a.k.a. Big Reek, from the H.U. Pirate Ship, a 2000 alum. And we also have Hamptonite from the H.U. Pirate Ship. What's going on, Hamptonite? Oh,
1: man, nothing much, man. Nothing much. Just happy to see a successful season. And now it's on to basketball.
0: Yep, indeed, indeed. So this, this show we're actually going to wrap up the 2015 football season, and uh, like you said, we'll we'll talk about the, the pirates this year. We'll talk, wrap up the Miac, talk about the Celebration Bowl, and then just give some more thoughts on the basketball and and uh, and head on to basketball season. So. Yeah, let's uh talk about um football when we talked about it a little bit last week uh because they had actually a bye week in their last week of the season. The Pirates finished 6 and 5 uh their first winning season since uh 2011. They finished strong in the final two weeks. They uh won by a combined score of uh 75 to 3. So they finished strong, finished over 500 so uh, you know, I think we can can call that a success. Um I think they were maybe finished to uh, pick the finish sub 500. So, you know, I guess that we are trending and moving in the right direction. So, um, what we're going to do is, um, just talk about some highlights, lowlights of the season, MVPs and those sorts of things. So let's jump right into it. So, you know, I'll talk about my highlight of the season. So it's a little bit, of, a little bit corny, but I think, uh, leading Richmond 28 to 16 at the end of the, uh, third quarter at home I think that was the second game of the season that was actually my highlight of the season so up until the third quarter I think you know the Pirates played a pretty strong game I mean it was like balanced the coaching was on point the 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 passing game was on point the running game I mean it was a complete balanced game up until that third quarter and it kind of gave me an idea of what the team could be if they focus and put it all together and Richmond throughout the season was ranked, uh, you know, top ten, if I'm not mistaken, at certain, certain points in time. So um, they're a very good team, and to hang toe-to-toe with them without any sort of flukish plays, one could point to some referee decisions. But, I mean, it was still a man-to-man uh, type affair, and the Pirates uh, manned up and did well for three quarters. Even though they didn't pull out the game, but it just showed you some glimpses of what, you know, can be done if if all the chips and everything lines up. Um for the team, and just use it for some fuel next year because if they could have won that game, that could have changed the season and put them on a different uh, traje- trajectory. So uh, that was my highlight of the season. So, what, what's your highlight of the season, tonight?
1: You know what? I got two. But okay. I'm, <laughs> first one, I'm gonna say beating Howard finally in the past four. Uh, was it past four years that we've lost to him, four yeah. seasons? You know, it started with the Don Rose years and, of course, Maynard's first year. And that was, I would say, extremely satisfying for me, beating them in their own turf in RFK Stadium. And the game wasn't even close. That was a highlight for me. And I would say another highlight would be, uh, I would say, the 75 points that we scored in the last two games between Florida and m and Savannah State. Now I know those were probably the worst teams in FCS or worst teams in our conference, but the fact of the matter is it shows that our offense can be potent at certain points. So those were my highlights.
0: Yep, can't disagree with those. Two two good two good uh, highlights for the for the season. So now we can talk about uh, some lowlights. So my lowlighter season man had had to be that third quarter debacle to Norfolk State. So I'm sitting in Dick Price Stadium, it's raining, uh, you know, you're feeling good, even though it's raining, but you're feeling good, the Pirates are leading 14-7 at halftime, and then they just came out and laid an egg, I mean, just completely laid an egg, and Norfolk State, they scored 17 points in that third quarter, and that was pretty much, uh, and we were shut out in the second half, and it was it was just the, the worst game I can remember just sitting and watching and saying, what in the heck is going on, I mean, so many things were exposed uh, during that third quarter of the team. And I think that kind of helped uh, change the, the, the way the team was uh, headed for the rest of the season. So it took them a while to kind of right the ship um, and, and get things going again. Um, but I think that that game had a lasting effect. And just, like I said, sitting there watching it in the rain was didn't help either, man. So that's my low light of the season. <laughs> well, I'm going to say for my low light
1: is I would say, giving up only 100 and I think, what, 50 yards to North Carolina A&T. And I mean, literally, their offense only mustered that amount of yards, and we lost five double digits because of special teams' failures. Punt returns, kick returns, and punt blocks. Uh, that was an extreme low light of our season. To so We've had the number one team on the ropes, But our special teams miscues practically lost us lost the game for us. So that basically was, I would say, I would say it felt like the season was cursed at that point because we had we the offense and defense did exactly everything that it needed to do to win the game, but our special teams just could not come 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 forward for us. So that was a sad point in my uh fan fandom this year
0: <laughs> man you true yeah that 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 was a low light i i guess for me um I wasn't so surprised, maybe because of the special teams I, I, yeah maybe it's a state of disbelief, but yeah, that was pretty low that was low <laughs> that was low yeah no no way to no other way to look at that one so yeah low that was that was that's a good low light also to point out so um Uh, We can also talk about the uh, MVPs for the season. Um, So I have uh, TJ Mixon as the offensive MVP for the team. A great season by TJ. He had 59 catches, uh, 1,027 yards, nine touchdowns, and he uh, averaged 93 yards per reception uh, per game. 93 yards and receptions per game. So that was a pretty – that's about as good as a receiving season you can get for Hampton. So, and almost any team at this level. So you have any, any thoughts on that, man?
1: No, I definitely agree. TJ Mixon has been, uh, I would say a meat at a star since he actually, uh, put on cleats for the pirates, you know, when, I mean, he has been the engine for this offense for the past three years. And this year, David David Walker's main target was T.J. Nixon. And if you watch how he how he attacks his routes, you know, he basically is, I would say he's a smart player. He's like a Julian Edelman slash Damian Amendola player. He was a little bit undersized. But he could get in and out of a route really quick, and then he can just per- turn on the jets just to get you another, more rack yards, run after catch. And I just think that he clearly was the offensive MVP this year. And I just think that going forward, going, I mean, it is a bright spot for next year, you know, because if it's Jarrell Antoine or the Wolf Hulk kid or whoever they want um, put, to put the ice in the next year, then we <laughs> the future is bright when you're passing to one side of the field with TJ Nixon.
0: Yep, no doubt, no doubt. So, yep, and we got him one more year, so we get to see it again. And uh, on the defensive side of things, of course, uh, looks like, you know, we're going with Miles Grooms as the defensive MVP. He was second in the league in sacks, and he had eight and a half sacks uh, for the year, and fourth in tackles for loss at 16 tackle for loss. So, um, you know, there were some games we noticed where he disappeared, but when he was you know, there and 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 making plays. I mean, he was pretty dominant, so he set the table for the whole defense. So, yeah, Miles Grooms is the defensive MVP. Any thoughts on Miles Grooms?
1: Uh, you know what? I think that was pretty much expected from him um, being a, a defensive MVP. I'm a little bit melancholy after watching, looking at his stats. You know, second in sacks with 8.5, and fourth in tackles for loss. I mean, I do know that he was a down lineman this year, and that con- contributed to a lot of that. But going forward, I think if he is going to be the pro, or let's say, we're probably looking at maybe a uh, undrafted free agent or a practice squad type of player as he as he builds himself up to become a professional um, athlete. I think you know he'll, you would see him at the I would say strong side or weak side position. And he will play his true positions, kind of similar to the kid from Norfolk State last year, Lindale Trail. That's true. And I think uh, I think that he, he will probably get some looks, probably like a, uh, from a Senior Bowl invite or a couple of these, you know, postseason uh, postseason uh, showcases for seniors. And I, I, you know, I think the world of the kid, and I just wish that he could have hat went out on I would say more of a, uh, like an eight and three or a nine and two type of season, but I think he pretty much proved himself as far as being a defensive E.P.
0: No doubt, no doubt. So yes, great season for Miles and uh, hopefully he can continue if that's a, if that's his dream. So I think he's got the definitely, he's definitely got the athleticism um to, to you know to get to get on somebody's roster and make some moves so uh we could we could we should see that happen in some capacity, so and then let's look at the special teams m v p now we got on special teams all year long. It's cost us a couple games actually um but there was one shining star from uh special teams, and that's christian Faber Kenny, and he basically led the leading lead in, league in punting, so he was the best punter in the meac and uh helped get us out of some tough situations all year so uh congratulations for winning it. A two pirate Ship, special teams M V P Christian Favor Kenny. So any thoughts on that, man?
1: You know what? I mean, I
0: have I have no
1: issue with Christian Favor Keeny Faber pet Kenny, I'm sorry. I know he didn't leave the league in punting. I just think that uh you know, he wasn't the one blocking those guys that blocked his punt. And uh I mean he pro he didn't did a tackle on those punt returns that were uh, taken to the house. But uh, if you let the league in putting, then that is actually a great thing. When the, when we actually get the chance to putt, you know, and we didn't get a putt block. So, you know, I'm glad Steve and he will be back next year. Hopefully we will have some guys that can, that can block for him and then and some guys that can actually tackle on punching coverage.
0: Yep. True that. True that. So, Good stuff, man. So those are our three MVPs. Um, still waiting for the Miac all-season uh, rosters to come out, but I'm sure those guys will be all represented on those rosters when they do, when they are made available. So uh, let's look at the uh, some of the statistical leaders uh, this year from the uh, from the team. So, you know, Dave Wafford, of course, of course, was the uh, passing leader for the Pirates. Um, he averaged, uh, you know, he completed 50, 53% of his passes for 2,088 yards with twenty one touchdowns, so in a long of eighty yards, uh long of an eighty yard touchdown. So he averaged uh two hundred and eight yards or so per game. So I mean it's a pretty strong um uh passing numbers for David Waffert so excellent pick up for, for Maynard and the team. Uh we can talk about the running backs. Um Christopher Dukes, he led the team in rushing. He had six hundred and ninety one yards rush total uh, rushing yards, average uh, five yards a carry uh, had two touchdowns and is long of 72. Uh, let me just jump back to passing real quick, man. So uh, one one nugget that folks wouldn't uh, wouldn't think of would be uh, Tua' mixing or T J. mixing. He actually had three touchdown passes as well. So they used to run that little uh, throwback and or reverse, and he would throw it to the other other side of the field typically. So uh, the man can also uh, pass the ball. Um, So let me jump back to running backs again. So we had uh, Dwayne Garrett. He was second on the team in rushing, and he had uh, 478 yards and he averaged 5.5 yards per carry. And then there was a whole host of other guys. So, man, one thing I just wanted to mention about the running backs, remember early on we were just saying, you know, we need some balance, we need some balance. You know, these guys average, you know, over five yards a carry. So what would have happened if we would have gotten more balance early in the season with those guys? Oh
1: man, it would have been, it would have been limitless because if you think about it. if We had Eric Carter playing uh, against Richmond. You know, you know he was a battering ram anyway. He would have he would have tired out that defensive line and that linebacking core to the point where we could have we probably could have won that game. Um, I mean, you think about that, and then you think about David Walker for twenty-one touchdown passes. And his longest reception, longest uh touchdown pass was for eighty yards, you know. And I remember that play. It was a great play. And of course, you know, you got T J Mixon who was a quarterback in high school. So, you know, he did uh contribute, you know, with throwing a few touchdown passes. And uh I know we had Christopher Dukes and Dwayne Garrett, um, uh, but I guess going forward for next year, you know, we have to, we hope I hope that there's some quarterback uh, running backs on that roster that could take us there. Uh, that can get uh, besides Carter. That can get uh, that can at least you know carry the load. You know you know with uh, Eric Carter. And um, I'm just excited. You know. Then we look over at the receivers. Uh, I know we lost uh, shorter uh, Riddick, and uh, did we lose Gooding? I'm sure we did. And. You know that those would be very hard uh, um, roles to fill, but we do have some other players on the roster, like Alonzo. Alonzo will be back, and you know I I know that Maynard is is out recruiting right now because I'm following all these guy all these coaches on Twitter, so I'm sure that they'll pretty much have some guys that can fill in, you know, next man up. So I'm excited about that.
0: Yep, we should we should. You know, only thing, and I've heard a lot of folks. Uh, talk about uh, Eric Carter and him being back. I mean, from what they say, I mean he completely tore up his knee, like you know RG3 style. So, um, so it, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle. I hope that you know if, he, if it's in his heart that he comes back and plays, but you know we should yeah. temper that a little bit, you know, because I, I remember watching that play and it, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it was not pretty. So, you know, hopefully we're gonna you know, have some contingencies in place. But good luck to him. But, yes, we, we need him. Yeah. yeah it's going to be some work.
1: Definitely. Definitely need him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, man, like you said, we, we got some raw receivers graduating. We also got some guys coming back. So, you know, T.J. Mixon, he led the team, of course, in receiving. But it was a pretty – after that, it was pretty balanced. So, there were one, two, five receivers who had over 200 yards in total reception. So, second was uh, Rayshawn Proctor. And he only had eight games, too. Um, he was second on the team. He had four touchdowns, 326 yards, 21 catches. Third, Second on the team in catching, actually, was Saquon Gooding, who was, I think he was underused. Who knows of why? But I think, um, you know, he may have been one of my favorite receivers after T.J. Mixon. Um, he played all, all games, all 11 games. He had 24 catches, 280 yards, four touchdowns. Leon Shorter, he had uh, 20 catches. He played in seven games. Um, and had 20 catches uh, for 241 yards. And then we had Rashad Riddick. He played in 11 games. He had 20 catches, 240 yards, and had four touchdowns. So, And then there's a whole host of other guys who caught uh, passes. So they distributed pretty well. Maynard kept those guys balanced. And, yes, Shakim Alonso, he's got to work on the route running and some of those other things. But he's, he's got the tools to be a beast next year. So if you can get – TJ, I think Rayshon Proctor's coming back next year, I think. And um, Shakim Alonzo, if you get those three together uh, on the field, I mean, that's, that is that is that is like a, a, a BCS-type receiver core right there. So they're going to be lethal at the receiver set. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely going to be lethal there. Um, oh, I do
1: worry about uh, who's going to be blocking for the quarterback. You know, I mean we did lose Tory and White, we lost Mike Young. I mean, I know we do have Donovan Johnson that uh is still there, Blake Porter, uh Cruz, and you know, we have the the two big guys, uh the Bell Cows, Malik Mackey and Gabe uh Watson, I think. And we do got that new kid that they just like to Todge um you gotta help me with his last name.
0: Uh oh man, yeah, I should I shouldn't know that, but I I actually I don't remember. Uh He's hold six on. Eight, I, right, is that the six eight kid? He is six foot
1: eight. Big joker. <laughs> yeah, big guy. Um actually I'm, I'm looking for him now. Yeah, uh, Todd uh 6'8", Six foot eight offensive lineman out of uh Miami Central uh high school and if, if you know Miami Central Miami Central is like a football factory uh I would say he's probably a little immobile but I'm sure that you could wor- um Manor could find uh could work with that so yeah excited probably, about that
0: Yeah they probably got to get him down to about you can get him down about 320 ooh uh, down about <laughs> 320 and and that uh, that should help that foot speed <laughs> I I
1: you know what I mean, I'm gonna pray for that, but <laughs> I mean uh I, I just think it's, it's gonna be tough. Yeah. But I'm just I I will say this though. Um hopefully those uh those two guys that we talked about, Mackie, Bringhawk and of course uh G, um Big Gabe, you know, are the anchors that we need um uh, for our tackle position. And so hopefully whoever the quarterback is, you know, he will have those open draw lanes to get to the to, um, to catch uh, Mixon Proctor and of course um, uh, Mixon Proctor and who's the other guy? Um, Alonzo. Alonzo, absolutely. so And yeah, our, our yeah.
0: Phantom tight end. I, I'm, man, one of these years, <laughs> man, we're going to get a tight end and throw the ball to him. So it's going to be next year.
1: We haven't had one since Adrian White man. Yeah, we, and we, the we, other we, guy Ernie. Ernie something. yeah
0: We're going to get one, man. So absolutely, yeah, so that's good man and uh let's see uh let's move over to the defensive side of things, so we're actually gonna miss a lot of guys next year. um our two leading tacklers are gone. Joshua Thorne led the team in tackles, he had seventy eight tackles, and a close second was Tyrone Ward. They played all eleven games, um uh, so they were pretty durable and reliable um he had seventy six tackles. Um, five and a half for, for loss. Um, any you a force fumble, pass, a couple pass breakups. Uh Jason George, he was a, a nice surprise. He was actually third on the team in tackles, um, with um fifty two tackles, and that's interesting coming out of the secondary, um, having that many tackles. Uh fourth on the list was uh Charles Owens. We're gonna miss Charles Owens next year. Uh he was a good player. Um he was fourth on the team in tackles with forty nine tackles. And uh, let's see, after that was uh, Miles Grooms where he had uh, 46 tackles So, and then a host of other guys. So, you know, we're going to be missing a lot of production from the defensive side and be interesting to see how Maynard kind of plugs some of those holes. Uh, let's also look at who else had a couple sacks for us. We had uh, Keith McAfee. He had uh, five sacks. Uh, Owen Obasui, who we were both expecting to – take a big leap this year, but it looks like he took a step backwards this year. He was actually third on the team in in sacks, though, with three, so uh, as the year went on, his production actually went up um, and a couple other guys with a couple sacks, so a lot of production to replace with the sacks. Our top three sack artists are gone. Our top three tacklers are gone. Uh, It's going to be rough next year to replace these guys, so what, what do you think, man?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. It's going to be – I mean, I think Manny's probably thinking, okay, the best way we can, we're can going to win games next year is just by our offense just outgunning everyone. I mean, but unless if we have guys on the, that are currently on the roster that step up, you know, then I don't think we will have that philosophy. But losing Miles Groom, Charles Owens, Joshua Thorne, Tyrone Ward, you know, that is – that's brutal, you know. I mean, we pretty much lost our whole linebacking core. You know, if we – I mean, all we have is Jamari Cord left, and I would say he was pretty much like a, a rotational linebacker. So, of course, I think the linebacking core is going to be our Achilles heel next year. Um, I We did lose a good, uh, uh, strong safety with Jason um, Jackson George. Uh, you know, he, he was more of a run support tackle guy, and you know, he was an excellent, excellent defender, excellent tackler. Um, that is going to be missed, and of course, Charles Owens, I mean, Big Chuck in a in the middle, you know, that guy, he was a uh, serious load of beast. So, <laughs> so I mean, and you know, and he was mobile. So hopefully, uh, some of these young guys you got, you know, with uh darian williams and obasui hopefully he will bounce back to have a better year this year next year and you know i mean i still think that there's probably there's some players that are still on the roster uh that are, are that are good enough to actually to step in but that linebacking core will be our biggest problem next year we lost Three good
0: linebackers. Yep, agreed. I think, like I, I echo your sentiments. I think across the defensive line, because you know, towards the end of the year, Maynor actually started to rotate a lot, rotate in a lot of those young guys. So, I think there is some talent coming up there. Um, there's not going to be a Miles Groom, so it's got to be more like by uh, you know, everyone's going to have to chip in and pick up that that slack. Uh, but they can do it across the line. But like you said, they're going to be hurting in the linebacking core. I mean, those are those are two studs, and the guys coming up behind them—they're young and they're small. You know, they're fast. They're fast and athletic, but they're small. So, teams that are going to run right at us—which will be a, a lot of meak teams like South Carolina State to the world—I mean, that's we're going to struggle with that unless we can get some more beef at the linebacker. But it'll be interesting because you know they only really play two linebackers anyway, and they play yeah. almost, almost like that nickel, but the the it's a, what a big nickel I guess they call it so the safety's a little bit bigger. So, you know, they just need to find two strong middle linebackers (laughs) to to replace that, which is going to be easy. Now, the question is, though,
1: would Maynard go back and do something that everyone has been telling him not to do? Will he go out back and find a transfer, or will he just, you know, bite the bullet with a, a kid who was already on his roster?
0: Uh, if I'm Maynard, he's going with the best option available.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't mind with that. Hey,
0: yep. I mean, he got to win. This is year three. And then, you know, we kind of talked about this offline. I think that the team can actually have a setback next year. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree. That's normal. You know, for some reason, year three, sometimes, I mean, the you know, other guys uh, guys are all gone and out of the system, so now you are trying to raise up your recruits. And at this point in time, it just they got to take over the reins. They're not, not always ready. So I I'm, I would not be surprised if the team struggled next year.
1: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that because now you're pretty much using your own recruits. And, I mean, and we had David Walker, who I would say was a good buffer, for this season because we didn't think Antoine would have been ready enough um uh, been capable enough of carrying shouldering that load. Um so yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um I mean especially we just said with the offensive line, you know, well Malik Mackey and Gabe Watford and or this new kid that they're bringing in, um or you got Cruz and Johnson and Porter, you know, how are you gonna kinda piece those guys together, you know, because they haven't played played um with each other at all, so that is going to be that is going to be something, onto So The running back situation, you know, Carter. I mean, might not be back next year, you know, or if he is, he might be limited all the way up to the next um, to the first game, you know. And you know what what kind of depth do we have there, you know? So it's a lot of question marks, you know. And that will, I mean, you ain't sneaking up on nobody, you know. People kind of people know what your offense is, is going to do. So, and then, uh, you know, we talked about the linebackers, you know, linebacker, of course. So, yeah, it's things that he has to answer, and hopefully, you know, they're hard at work doing it right now.
0: Right. Yep, I agree. So, and we talk about them trying to actually build a program um, from their recruits, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: does it seem like the pipeline is strong enough yet to just to just run with that, <laughs> you know, that's why I think he's going to have to plug some holes, unfortunately. But I, I don't see, like, a strong pipeline. I, I, perfect, perfect uh, point. While we were watching a uh, William & Mary game, and I'm just looking at the guys on the sidelines. I mean, and, you know, you could tell they got young guys, but, you know, you could, yeah. they, you could tell they on a the program. But yes. our guys, our guys in the game, man, they're skinny. Like,
1: they, you know, they... Skinny. They, yeah. oh. oh, yes, absolutely.
0: And to, and
1: to point it out even more, the three defensive linemen that we have those in, I think one is Devontae Sproul. You know what? I'm going to pull it up right now. I mean, these kids... Uh, you have the transfer from East Carolina. Yeah. Kids, two, oh, what, 215, two oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you cannot be a defensive lineman at that side, that is more that's more geared towards uh uh a wide receiver. Well here we go Devin Thurman, two hundred and fourteen pounds. Oh. Defensive end, he's what, six foot three? I mean, the kid I mean, he cannot be no less than two hundred and forty five pounds. Mm. Minimum. You know, Devon Pitchboro, two hundred and seventeen pounds. I mean Minimum two hundred and 245, 250. Darian Williams is 220. You know these are tiny defensive ends. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a coach. I don't know what what type of scheme that they would use. Sometimes I saw a 335 or uh, a 4 a 425 or something like that, but. I mean, they gotta hit these weights, you know. I mean, just like and you're absolutely right. I, when I was standing on the sidelines of the William and Mary game, uh those the, the kids who weren't even in the game, they were bulky, they were blocky. Yep. You know. Yep. You cannot have. I mean, you know, these kids cannot uh, withstand the pounding. Being 215, 200, having a linebacker, you know, six feet or six one. Two hundred and fifteen pounds, two hundred and ten pounds, and you see a William and Mary linebacker six two, two forty five, two fifty. Then you have one at six three, two forty, two two fifty, just running after you. And I mean, <laughs> you can see the difference. I mean, I mean, whatever it is, you know, Luke Butler needs to <laughs> get these kids. You know, bulk them up, I, you know, just stuff food down their neck. I don't know. But you could see, yeah, William and Mary doesn't have a program. And I think Maynard is trying to figure out how to
0: build one here. Yep, yep. And until he does, get them transfers. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're going to have to do it, man. Yeah, you know, yeah. cause, and cause Phil- some of these kids, just they're just not ready.
0: Yep, yep. Agreed, man. So, yeah, we talked about those losses on defense, on offense. We're losing – uh, well, I misspoke on one of the guys. We're losing Watford, Dukes, Garrett, uh, Saquon Gooding, Leon Shorter, Rashad Riddick. So we actually have in the receiving core who's at, uh, let's see, who's at uh, Proctor coming back yeah. next year? Okay, so I was right, yep. So that's good. That's a good trio coming back. So the team needs a quarterback. We need some running backs. We need some guys on the line to step up. Step up on defensive side of the ball, we need some of those defensive linemen to step up and we need some new linebackers or the young guys to step up and suck down some creatine and muscle milk and (laughs) pork pork chops and, and uh, put some rocks in the pants like (laughs) we used to do in little league. And, um, yeah, but the, you know, the defensive back field will be strong. So uh, interestingly enough, the wide receiver core and the defensive backfield should be the strengths of the team next year. Um, if we look at the MEAC stat rankings, the team was second in total offense and third in total defense, so that was pretty good. And uh we're still waiting for the MEAC league superlatives, so maybe we'll go over that in a future show. Um so yeah, that's that's the team, man. Any I think that's a pretty good breakdown of the team this year and what we need to do next year, man. Anything else to tie that up or we we good to move on? <laughs> Oh, uh,
1: basically, you know, just what you said, you know, quarterback, you know, just to see if Antoine is ready or running back, that's a big concern. And, of course, like I said, linebackers, you know, running backs and linebackers. You know, if Carter is not ready, then I don't know who else is on that roster that you can plug in. And the linebackers are going to be completely new. So, yeah, absolutely. As far as the stat rankings, you know, second and third, you know, that. Is indicative of what Conner Elmaine offense, you know, very potent, and you know, total defense was actually good as well. So, I mean, if you notice the thing that we're not talking about, special teams, and that was probably dead last, and that's probably why we lost a lot of those games. Yep, but that's pretty much it.
0: Yep, good breakdown. So, yeah, we'll be uh, as things happen uh, on, during the off season. You know, we'll, we'll chime in and get some thoughts. So, we'll, we'll figure out a schedule for that, but uh, definitely around signing day and some of those things we'll talk about some of the new additions to the team so that's good man good year 6-5 and five, right direction so let's look at the final week of the MEAC and the MEAC scores um, Bethune-Cookman beat Florida A&M in the Florida Classic 35-14 Delaware State and Edge Tower 32-31 to Norfolk State beat Morgan State 17-10 to North Carolina Central in my upset man because I was, I was going hard for A&T uh North Carolina Central beat AT 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 for the Miac Championship uh twenty-one to sixteen, or at least a share of the crown. And then South Carolina State beat Savannah State fifty-two to twenty-nine. So interesting scores here, especially this North Carolina Central upset of A&T So I guess their lack of a passing game, ANT's lack of a passing game finally caught up with them. Uh the offense is like Tariq horn left, Tariq horn right, <laughs> going up the middle, jump ball to uh, the number one, literally number one wide receiver, and that's it. And uh, that finally caught up with them because I mean Central, when they want to be, they are as disciplined as North Carolina A&T, and their offense just is a little bit more balanced than that show today or that this past Saturday to give them a tie, a share of the uh, MIAC uh, championship. So. Um, it ended up in a three way tie, the actual final standings. Um, A and T, Cookman and Central all tied at seven and one in the MiAC, but because of uh what's that the Saragin rankings and basically all yeah. three of those guys lost to one another, uh yeah. AT actually won the uh MEAC, uh and get to go to the celebration bowl, which we'll talk about in a second. Um second on the league was uh South well, actually fourth, but had the second best record was South Carolina State at six and two. Uh Hampton was five and three after South Carolina State. Morgan State four and four. Norfolk State four and four, Savannah State, Florida A and M. Delaware State and the Howard all finished up at one and seven. So uh pretty evenly distributed, some good, some very bad, and a couple of us in the middle. So those are your MEAC standings. What's your thoughts on the MiAC this year, man?
1: You know what? I mean the 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 mainstays, of course, but Bill cooking in the South Carolina state, they're not going anywhere. A and T is has is now, I would say, a juggernaut in this conference. North Carolina Central is, I mean, we kind of overlook them every year, but you know they're seven and one this year. You know, uh, they are are they're going to be a force to reckon with, be reckoned with. And Hampton, you know. Uh, Hampton is that program that's kind of like, remember when uh, Charlie Weiss was at Notre Dame, and when he came in, he had all this bluster and how he was going to do this and do that, and it was initially successful, um, but then, you know, as time went on, you know, it started to erode. Now, I'm not saying that it's that it's Hampton, but Hampton is missing the pieces that, that would put them in the class of A and T and bethune Cookman. And the pieces I see, uh when I when I look at A and T I see linemen that are pretty much uniform. I see uh I don't see that many penalty flags, you know. Same way with the and Cookman in North Carolina Central. I see discipline play and players, you know, sometimes, you know, not jolly back and forth. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that's the main thing. That's just, you know, kids thing. So uh, so maybe we'll probably see recruits that don't that are more disciplined um, come next year. But that's pretty much it.
0: Yep, yep, indeed. So I, you know, I'm I think next year will be interesting um, to see who's gonna. I think of all these teams, I think bethune Cookman because they actually were sort of like a rebuilding year in many aspects. I mean, they got a lot of young guys. Uh, coming next year, uh, up next year. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what they do next year. But uh, like we said, by virtue of A&T winning the conference championship, they actually get the MIAC's bid to the Celebration Bowl. So the much-talked-about, much-maligned, somewhat-celebrated Celebration Bowl. So we finally get a chance to talk about that. So... I'll let Hamptonite have the floor, and then I'll follow up some thoughts, my thoughts on the Celebration Bowl and what I think it means to uh, the Miag and then also in particular, Hamptons. So.
1: Well, I'll, let me just say this.
0: When you win a national
1: title at FCS football, you basically went through a playoffs. You went through the playoffs. And I think... You know, of course, that's what everybody should strive to do. You should strive to win a national title. But I guess the current economic conditions at some of our HBCUs, or I'll say all of them athletically, you know, it's very hard for them to actually to compete on that level. So, of course, that's how the Celebration Bowl uh, came to life. The SWAT basically gave up their bid, I think, in the late 90s. And I think the NEAC consistently just wanted to, to prove that, you know, that we are, that we're just as good. And I don't think the MEAC needs to prove it in that sense that, you know, cause we do get players that get looks at the next level. I just think that certain things, I mean, there's certain economic factors outside of college football that are in the way for, you know, these programs, you know, to compete on that level. And I don't even want to go there because that's just a total. That's a total convers. That's a, that's another conversation. But as far as celebration ball, I do I see it as waving a white flag. Absolutely, you know. I mean, I know Dennis Thomas and you know the rest of his uh, constituents. You know, and these media presidents. You know, they see they see no. They're, they're basically just holding on in their athletic department. I understand that. I I get that. But to play play the slack at the end of the year, it's not really that's not really something to be proud of, you know. I mean, we're basically fighting to be king of, I would say, a small ant hill, <laughs> and it's not really. I mean, I mean, okay, yeah, I would be happy to win the Fair celebration ball, but is it a real victory? Absolutely not. Uh, it's just you just you just be the slack team. Uh and I'm just I am done.
0: I'm done. But yeah, I, yeah. Hear I hear you man. I for me, uh yeah, I'm not a fan of the celebration bowl. Um, you know, it's clear that this is all about economics and you know, our schools are struggling. Like we cannot raise the amount of money uh for all the reasons that other schools can. So um as a result when we play them it results in our players potentially being smaller, um, you know, results in, you know, you know us having a drive for the distances to the games. Like all these little things add up to actually end in, in defeats. Um, so, yeah, we can't compete with the uh, CAA no schools because they're better funded. And, you know, why they're better funded, I mean, we can go into them. I think that's like a lesson in American history and all kind of things if we really want to get into it. But, uh, you know, it's clear that we're struggling. We can't compete regularly with the other schools at this level. So um, for me, yeah, it's not a celebration. It's just a reminder of where we are economically and what our our challenges are. Um, Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure some of our – I know we're like we. Hampton is trying to increase its funding like with the uh, Hampton Nation and do some other fundraising efforts, but – you know, the the gap is like millions. Like if you look at James Madison's budget, look at William and Mary's budget, uh I know these things are some of these things are private because they're you know, private schools, but you can still get some ideas of what teams are spending and we're just not spending in the same uh arena, so, you know, you gotta expect some losses. So seems like what the MiAC is just deciding to do is is basically cut its losses. Um, this is an effort to actually I think reduce costs because if you're not going to be competing at a national level, then why spend the money to compete with those guys? You're going to spend the money, uh, come into it with what your goals are. And if that's to just play the swack and beat the swack then, you know, that'll help control some of your costs. Um, so, yeah, it's an economic thing. It's, to me, it's no celebration. I get no joy out of watching the MIAC and the Swack play, what, a couple of days before Christmas if Hampton were in it. I'd root for him. I probably wouldn't make the game just because, you know, you've got family obligations and all things, and I, I hope it's successful. But it's just, for me, it's indicative of the state of economics for our particular schools and athletic departments. So uh, I love all HBCUs. I hope it's a success. hope the teams play well. But for me, I'd rather play in the playoffs. So, I mean, just think about this Hampton night. Like, we've seen over the past, you know, decade or so, like Hampton compete in the playoffs. And we also saw them competing at Heritage Bowl. And then I'll say for me, uh, I think I was, I, de- I know I was at almost all those playoff games. Like, it was more thrilling for me to watch Hampton almost beat New Hampshire in the playoff game yeah. and lose that, what's that, fourth and 16 <laughs> for a touchdown? To Jamari
1: Core. Yeah, Jamari Core. Yes. Dave Santo <laughs> all over Jamari Core. And I remember that vividly hearing um Uh, Rob Dixon's radio call yelling, Jamari! (laughs) He yelled, because he knew. He knew it was over. He knew Jamari Court did not cover the running back well outside of the backfield. And you know what's so funny? You know who drew up that play? Who's that? (laughs) He's coaching for the Philadelphia Eagles, Chip Kelly. Oh, yes, He's an awesome. he was the offensive of coordinator for that team.
0: Yep, well he's probably still running that plate now. So Running that same play. Yep. Oh, I <laughs> I
1: think about it now and I'm just like I can't like fourth and sixteen and Jamari Core. I mean it wasn't his fault, you know. You know, it was many other factors. But yeah that play
0: The pass and, too, the pass by the quarterback. I mean that was like Yeah,
1: Dave Santos.
0: Yeah, it was right on the money. I mean it was it was perfect, I mean, but that game was amazing to be at. The William & Mary game where Jerome Mathis went nuts even though we lost. I mean, that was an amazing game to watch. So, even though we lost those games, I mean, you know, the the atmosphere was great. I mean, uh, and that was amazing. But watching us play Southern or uh, the Delta Devils or something two days before Christmas, I mean, that that's all right, but <laughs> it ain't going to do nothing for me. So... I, I know, think man.
1: I think it will probably be a good economic graph for the city of Atlanta. And being a native of Atlanta, I remember I've gone to many heritage ball games even before I went to college, and and after, and uh, I think the last one was in I think '99 or 2000, uh, the Hampton and, and Southern one, and. um going to that game, uh it was it was, you know, it was an excellent crowd there, you know. Uh twenty uh, 25, 40, 000, I don't know, twenty five, thirty thousand people in that stand. So I'm hoping I'm, I'm that's where I'm guessing that ESPN, you know, they want to have uh have, you know, their alums there. But, you know, this is close to Christmas and you know how our people are, you know. I mean we really ain't going if if it's like Southern University or Grambling or Jackson State. They're not driving from Louisiana and Mississippi to go to the air this ball. And if they can see it on TV, yeah. I mean, but I forget Atlanta is a black mecca, so you know. But uh, our people are sometimes. Yeah, you know, I'm going. I'm going to
0: Atlanta. So. <laughs> true. <laughs> That's so. true. So and yeah, I, I hope it's well intended. I hope it does well. I ain't wishing any ill on it, but I don't want to. No, yeah. I don't want to no, see. Yeah, it. I, see yeah it. I mean,
1: I just, I
0: mean, I'm
1: just not a fan of the the Doer Sharp model. That is the the uh, he is the uh, what, the head of the slack. and you know they, you know, this is what they love to do, and I would rather compete for a national title. I know it's a pipe dream, being the fact that we were six and five right here, but I still hold out hope. And that year when we had the number two team in the country, you know, I thought that was probably our year to actually go that far. Yeah. But, you know, we could go back there. You know, we just have to have a Dustin Durant, a Kimball Langford, a Marcus Dixon, and a Lampo Coleman on the roster. So hopefully that is what Maynard is striving for.
0: Right, so here's the thing, right? So now, so if we say if we put together a roster like that, then how do we get to the playoffs? It, it's almost going to take a miracle. So, um, and I, but I think what uh, Hampton's re- schedule this year actually, uh, actually would have helped them get there. Like, so for a MiAC team now to get to the playoffs, I mean, you know, we're not going to get in that. Like, but Thune Cookham got snubbed. You can argue, you know, argue that they deserve a seat, but. You've got to schedule top FCF schools and actually beat them or be extremely competitive with them, but more likely you have to beat them. And then you have to lose to the presumptive MiAC champion. And that's to get in that large base. I think that's what it's going to take. And then for that to happen, I mean, that's just the stars are aligning correctly. That's not like a game plan. It's not like, hey, I want to lose to one of these teams and win, you know, and because we're not getting the benefit of the doubt, so we've got to be some really good teams. So I think the schedule we had aligned up perfectly, but the other MIAC teams, because of the money issues, are not playing William & Mary in Richmond. They don't have that luxury like we do. They're playing Rutgers yeah. and Miami. And there ain't, yeah. ain't no wins there. So, I mean, we, we're we going to be shut out of the playoffs, unfortunately, for a couple of years until this thing, if it is not a success, it dies out. But, uh it's going to take a miracle for things to line up in us to get into the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think this was probably the kiss of death for the NEAC when it comes into the, guard, the playoffs. You know, you give up the auto bid, you know, they could put more Montana states in there, more North Dakota states in there. You know, these are these are serious programs, you know. They don't have to think about, oh, the NEAC auto bid, you know, this is going to be our bye week. They don't have to do that now, you know. They, I mean, yeah, Coastal Carolina in there, Richmond, uh, Jacksonville State, you know, you know, those are the top programs. Then you have the, I would say, the smaller programs that are getting shot then. But as far as, like, the MEAC trying to get back into the playoffs, uh, it's going to be extremely difficult, you know, because you're going to have to, just like with the schedule we had this year with... uh Richmond and William and & Mary on the roster. You know, that was, that was a perfect schedule had we won both of those games, and I would say considering the NEAC, we probably would have been in the playoffs. But I mean, Maynard, if you are listening, next year, do not put them on the off-schedule, you know, because, <laughs> you know, next year, put uh, another Kentucky State on the schedule, put Fort Valley State, Albany State, Elizabeth City on there <laughs> two times. Because we're gonna need those wins. We're gonna need those wins. Our our players are gonna need morale boosters next year. Next year let's not think about the playoffs. Let's just think about having another winning season. Yeah. That's all we can care for. Yep. So but as far as the Nia getting back in the playoffs ain't gonna happen. I'm sorry. I think it's I think it's a wrap, you know. We I mean, unless it, uh, North Carolina Central starts scheduling uh I would say Coastal Carolinas and beating Coastal Carolinas or beating a Furman or, or, or any of these programs, or I would say Richmond or James Madison, which ain't going to let you, uh, ain't, ain't going to give you an easy time. So it's going to be extremely hard. I don't think this is in a couple of years. I think you probably won't see a, a playoff bid for a decade, you know? And now if, if the celebration bowl dies out, we, if we might could crawl back into being lucky, <laughs> right. but I, I think I got the feeling in the celebration bowl will be here for a couple of years because I don't think it's about uh, walk up uh, walk up ticket sales. It's more about TV sponsorships and uh, fundraising. And if you one thing you know about Atlanta during Christmas time, especially when it comes around the bowl times it will be a lot of fundraising and a lot of sponsorships going on. So yep. I think the Celebration Bowl probably will get bigger each year and we'll just have to see.
0: Yep, let's hope so. And, and yeah, like, I, and I hate to say it, man, but, yeah, the playoffs are a pipe dream because, I mean, the other thing that this is going to do is going to contain costs. I mean, so as other schools, like schools that are going to the playoffs, their costs are escalating every year. Um, If your goal is not to, if you're not competing for the same thing they're competing for, if you're competing solely with the SWAC, your budget will be in line with the SWAC. So we're not going to be growing at the same rate as the other schools. So we're actually going to slide a little bit backwards, I think, as far as competing with those other schools, since we're not trying to compete with them. I mean, we're competing with the SWAC and the MIAC. And um, you know, that has a whole another set of commentary in, in itself like why are we actually at this level if we're just you know, competing against each other and the other uh struggling uh conference at this level. But that's a whole nother set of things. Go celebration bowl, I hope it's a success. We got our playoff memories <laughs> to, for Hampton of the past decade to live off of. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, that's unfortunate, I suppose. But, uh, go A&T. Beat the swag. So, at least I don't have to hear them talking trash for the next year.
1: So. Oh, God. Yeah. Tiger Pride. <laughs> all and of,
0: all of uh, Daddy
1: Tiger. Oh,
0: Bunch just of twat, get out of here, right? man. Go, go, back. Clown. Yeah, go back to the yeah. Bayou, man. Or wherever you, <laughs> whatever they play. Yeah. Oh, the swamp. That's <laughs> what I call you. The, the
1: swamp. <laughs> right. Stay there.
0: Yep. So, cool, man. Hey, one last thing, man. Let's talk about basketball. Let's talk about uh okay. the men's and women's team what we saw this week so they both opened up had a couple games this past week the men uh were 2 and 1 after initial loss to Winthrop Winthrop and then they also then they beat American and Appalachian State uh the cool things about this team it seems like they can score uh, they can put some points in the bucket and they don't depend on one score so for every game they had a different leading score and um, uh, they move the ball around and not pretty and not selfish. They seem like they go with the hot hand and ride him until it, it ain't working. So that's a good sign. Um, they rebound well and they fight hard and they play the whole the whole game. So I think they can uh, definitely win a Miac regular season title if Joyner can keep them focused. You know, during the regular season, it seems like there's a couple games where they just like out to lunch, man. They something something's wrong. So if we can keep them focused, like. Like a Molten does down with Central, you know they can definitely win the react, uh, the regular season title. So, have you have you seen any games or, or read into the team yet this uh, Hampton Knights? Well, I've read
1: I have read the um, actual. I mean, I've done some studying on their team. I've actually missed the American game. I only live twenty minutes away from it, and I did miss the Appalachian State game. But you know. I think we actually have some, like, this team has already started jealous. You got Reginald Johnson. He hit 19 points against um, Appalachian. Then you had Brian Darden. (laughs) You know, that's 21 points. 21 points. And, of course, you know, you got Javon Presley and Quentin Sheeves. You know, those are some really good players, and they're very cohesive. So, I mean, it's been a surprise so far, you you know. I mean, I know the loss to Winthrop. You know, I mean, I can forgive it because it's the first game. But we really beat American and we beat Appalachian State after we lost to Appalachian State last year. So I'm really encouraged with what I see as uh, Buck our jo- squad this year. And I think our next game will be coming up on uh, Wednesday against William and Mary in Williamsburg and. I mean, we have a shot there too. We have a uh, a very good shot to be uh, William and Mary, so I'm excited about that.
0: Yep, agreed. So that and that's going to be a good test too. William and Mary, they're a good team this year, so that'll be a good a good true test to see where they are early in the season. And then the uh, women, now you know they're on 4 but if you look at their schedule, man, look at this. They played in Ames, Iowa, Pullman, Washington, Eugene, Oregon, El Paso, Texas their next game is at university of texas and then i think their next game is maybe some other crazy place too or maybe they may be back home to play james madison but i mean those are all big 10 or pac-12 schools except for utep but they're also utep is in a in a bigger conference so none of those games the box scores weren't really close except for washington state but you know i watched a couple of those games and I mean, they're actually good. They're just undersized, and they they don't have a lot of depth. But when their front lines uh, scores are on the court early in the game, I mean, they at the either end of the quarter or the half, all those games were close and competitive. Um, so I expect for that to translate well to the MEAC, but when they're playing these teams that really go 10, 12 deep, they just can't compete with that at this point in time. But they, they should be just fine in the MEAC um, when conference play rolls around.
1: Absolutely. You know, I mean, Malia, take the free times, you know, I mean, she is a storm on that court. And I think, you know, that's David Six is, I would say, executioner out on the court. And yeah, they're playing a bunch of, I would say, uh, oversized teams. And, you know, our team is undersized. But that is that is, uh, we call uh, David Six Ball, you know, like Beamer Ball, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's small ball, small defensive ball. It's quit, you know. It will wear you down. And I know it is, you know, right now playing against Oregon, Utah, and Washington State. You know, those are uh, those are I would say quality opponents. But, I mean, coming up, you know, we have some uh, some really winnable games coming up. We have James Madison, Drexel, and Morgan State. So, you know, I think that will be a shot, you know, for uh, an adrenaline shot or a boost of confidence for these uh, Lady Pirates. And really excited for them, you know. I mean, they are, I think, uh, I mean, I think that they should probably finish in the top three this year. Hopefully they could uh, rebound and win the MEAC again. But, you know, I am I just know that David Six did encounter some I would say some recruiting miscues, but I think we'll be able to get on the right page in uh the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, agreed. I mean, um, I just hope they're not too, you know, burnt out or dispirited from the from the rough start. I mean no matter how you look at it, 0 five is still 0 and five. That's where they regionally really could be. And James Madison, I think they might be ranked. I mean they they're really good. So they're going to have a tough start. Um, but, you know, I was just reading uh, some of the message boards, I think, like from Oregon, and they were like, man, if our team just played as hard and was as tough as them, I mean, they'd be good. Like they were like, even though the scoreboard was just out of whack, like the teams like really came away respecting what the ladies were trying to do. Um, but, yeah, it was funny, man, just a quick anecdote watching the early these early games or so watching the games early, like the teams would try and run their sets, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we matched up. Like, they, you know, just running sets and, you know, they couldn't really get that thing done. So what they would do is then they would say, all right, screw this. We're going to go down low to our big 6'4", you know, and they had some people pushing 200, you know, and all these things. I'm <laughs> serious. I mean, they would go down low, and then she would do a thing down there, and then they're going to double team, and they would kick it out. It's like the same recipe for every game. You can't stop that. I mean, I mean those girls those teams have some big girls down there, man, and we just did not match up. So I think hopefully it's not an issue in Miac, they but they'll be fine as the year goes.
1: Understand. Understand and definitely agree. Uh just, you know, I mean, I just hopefully that they could recover and it will not be they will give a boost of confidence. So but it's still early, I mean, and I know I know those 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 women are (laughs) eagerly anticipating playing their Niac schedule now.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) No doubt. So, cool, man. Hey, man, it's a busy, busy, long show, but I think we covered a lot of good ground. So, I'm done, unless you have anything else, man.
1: (laughs) Nope. Nope. I think we're all good. We're all good, man. Excited. And uh, congratulations to Maynard and staff. You know, I know sometimes we're a little hard, harsh. But we know that you are actually, (laughs) you know, we know that you're doing a great job. You and the rest of the coaches.
0: Hey, man, we're we're only here because we love Hampton. So absolutely, it's it's out of love. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So thanks a lot, man. Yeah, we'll be back some point in time after the after the holidays. So be sure to subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter or on the SoundCloud feed, or even join the website, and you'll find out about our next podcast. Until then, sign up at the website and join the discussion. And uh, have a happy holiday, folks. Peace. All
1: right. Peace.